Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Very nice to meet you. It's very nice to meet you. And I'm so happy to talk about the thing that I'm obsessed with. One of them, we were just talking before about how things we're obsessed with change, change and how no one can handle change and some people can handle it. And you are the man, you're the, you're the man who helps corporations and entrepreneurs and people cope with change. Mm, Yeah. I mean, I think, I think all of us can change. I think we haven't been taught how to change. I think that the schooling and education system has not been about change, but about fitting into a system with an absolute outcome at the end of it. And so the better you were at that process, the more successful you'd become. I think change has really become a a massive focus over the last sort of 10, 15 years. And the education system, as we know, never keeps up with these things. So yeah, I think all of us have the malleability to change. We just need to know how, and that's what I do. Okay, so how did you become this person who is okay with change? Not only okay, obsessed with it. (laughs) Um, I think I've always inherently been like this. Um, I think that certain personalities have a easier um, uh, process when it comes to change. Often they're called entrepreneurs, to be honest, because I think entrepreneurs are kind of obsessed with continuously trying to figure out the next solution to something which means that they're constantly looking for change. I mean, I have a couple of friends of mine that came alive over COVID-19 when they had to change their businesses. They were almost bored with their businesses, even though they were successful. That challenge, I saw some of them really spring to life and absolutely loved that that sort of real chaos that uh, COVID-19 brought. So I think firstly, it's a personality trait. I think certain personalities are more cautious than others. Mine is just one that is always keen to learn what's next around, you know, being an early adopter or being a trend uh, watcher. um, And that's always just been my personality. Mm -hmm. But what happened is I went through a bankruptcy when I was 30, 31 years old. I was very, very financially successful in my 20s. I come from a single mom family. And um, so money was always a a challenge for us. And so I made a a concerted effort for it not to be a challenge for me. But uh, there's two ways to make money, right? Uh, One way is to build wealth. And one way is to never be poor again. And uh, one of my books, I started off a line that said, are you running away from the darkness or are you running towards the light? and many people are running away rather than towards. And I was absolutely running away from poverty, never running towards. And the tail end of any of these psychological stories catch you eventually. And uh, I went bankrupt. And so in that process of going bankrupt, uh, losing my identity uh, in certain ways, having to rediscover myself, starting to realize that what had happened to me had always been an early adopter, but because I'd found a formula that was making me money, I didn't want to change anything. And Mm. I got stuck in an existing formula and the world was changing dramatically around me and I just didn't see it. 
And when I came out of my depression after doing lots and lots and lots of self-development work to try and figure out what had happened, I just realized that I had stopped being myself, the, the, the natural, adaptable, entrepreneurial side. And then when I started to look around, I just started to realize that most people are stuck to their degree, stuck to their jobs, stuck, stuck to their personas. And sometimes these personalities are almost like galvanized when you're very young. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you're 18, you peak, you're the cool kid in high school, and then you never want to change. So your hairstyle stays the same. You listen to the same music. You wear the same clothes. It's, it's almost like we get stuck in this idea of who we are and what we're about. And uh, the more I looked around, the more I saw it was a challenge for many, many people. And so I started diving deeper and deeper into the subject for myself, really, more than anything else. But, you know, the more I dived into it, the more passionate I became about it, the more curious I became about it. And I've popped up on the other side. I've written and co-written nine books about it and now teach governments and organizations about it just based on my own fascination and curiosity about it and for it to be a real, real pain point in the world at the moment. And now I... I came up through newspapers. I, I was I always wanted to be a journalist. I worked in newspapers all the way up until start, like started the national here. And I have, li- I lived in a world of fear. Like not only were we creating fear with the, with the news that we produced most of the time, because we know that sells, but within each newsroom I was in intense, intense fear of, you know, I, I went from getting news off a fax machine to, to having the first computer and the fear, the fear of social media, the fear of the newspaper game, being lost and becoming the digital game, which we all know what happened. But I like that external fear and internal fear. I just feel like fear is such a big part of it. And in that organization, when I became in management, trying to get people to adopt the technology that we needed to adopt to stay current, it was the most impossible thing. Like, you know, older guys who just wouldn't, and I would see them and the fear came out as like anger and and like really yeah. jerky behavior and and i remember struggling mm. you know because i was like these old guys won't do it and i just wonder like mm. it's fear at the core do you think and how do you mm. break through that like when you're speaking to companies do you get this mm. look i think uh we firstly let's let's understand what has created this and if we go way way back we realize that as cavemen we needed to have a certain level of fear right mm-hmm. but what has been really programmed into us uh, without us even realizing. I don't think anybody was out there maliciously doing this, but what happened is that we started to live through something called the industrial revolution. And the industrial revolution requires absolute outcomes a net profit at every quarter, if not every month, if not every day. And what we do is we drive ourselves away and towards deadlines. Now think of the word deadline. It's fear-driven. It's not excitement driven. It's not we arriving at the winner's table. We are running away from this deadline and everybody is in this panic to achieve certain goals. And if they're not, they're measured against the failure of it or not of it. Now, what has happened is that this, this economies of scale, the, 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 the focus on efficiencies and net profits has driven a beta brainwave inside our brains. And this, this, this sort of brainwave that we are all addicted to, that we don't even know we're addicted to, is one that tells our bodies that we're in absolute danger. Mm. Now, when we are in this high beta brainwave, you don't have time for creativity. You don't have time to learn anything new. You don't have time to be adaptable. You don't have time to engage with anything new. You're in survival mode. It's about you and your survival and your ability to pay your rent, your mortgage, your cool kids' school fees. It's that idiot at work that's trying to stab you in the back. It's that other competitor that's trying to do something. It's war. 
And now your body has become your mind. In other words, your body has taken on the habit of protecting yourself. Now, you're not even in charge of the reaction of being a jerk or not being adaptable. Your body just doesn't have the energy to learn something new. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to realize is that it's not even them that's being like that. It's the system that's created you to only be focused on what you've always done with modifications along the way, but not with drastic steps. And so my job is to bring that context into organizations and governments and show the patterning and programming that we have been programmed into without even realizing we've been programmed into it. That's the thing is that we're almost unconscious of it. We even go to the point of showing off how busy we are that we can't even keep up. My to-do list doesn't stop. I never have enough time. I'm exhausted by Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. I can't sleep well. This is common language. And we can also see this, that the pharmaceutical industry in the world has tripled in value in the last seven, eight years, mm. showing that we are medicating away this anxiousness, not understanding how to deal with it. And the simplest, simplest solution, not an easy solution, but a simple solution, is to change our brainwaves because the ability for us to change brainwaves actually changes our personality and the brainwave we need to actually practice to move into is called the alpha brainwave and this alpha brainwave gets us to become imaginative calm in our hearts clear in our heads adaptable collaborative and really keen to explore and be curious about the world that's unknown and the best way for me to describe an alpha brainwave if people who are listening to this don't know it is the first day when you come back from holiday. You know, the first day when you come back from holiday, that Muppet at work doesn't bother you. Your husband's not irritating you. Your kid's screaming is okay. You know, that pothole in the road is okay. You know, everything's okay. And you also are making lists and lists of things that you should do when you get back to your life. I should speak to my neighbor more. I should eat better. I should, all the things that you should do are so obvious. And now all of a sudden, Two hours into work, you'll, you'll say these exact words. I can't even remember I was on holiday. And what has mm. happened through that process is that you've moved from, a beta to, from an alpha to a beta brainwave. And now you're back on the treadmill. And now you're back into the system of society that you can never catch up. It is a continuous treadmill. And so my idea is, not my idea, my, my intention is to try and get people to understand that if you're able to change your brainwaves, you're able to change your personality. You're able to change your perspective of the world around you and actually bring about a more calm heart and clear head to the situation. And the situation itself changes. And you do that by? So there's two ways that we have seen uh, it happen around the world. The one is the use of psychedelics, um, not obviously legal in many parts of the world, but really you being used by many universities around the world, many medical centers, starting to realize that what psychedelics do, which is very similar to meditation, is they relax the brain synapses. They relax the, the neurons that have been wiring and firing together. Now, I don't know if you know this, but science has proven recently that we do have about between 60 and 70,000 thoughts a day, and 90% of the thoughts are the same. Hmm. This is a sad case for human being software being outdated, because what it says is that by the time you're 35 years old, the brain highways, the constructs that you have created for your personality are now set in stone. And now for the rest of your life, you are now repeating your idea around money, your, your idea around power, your idea around food. Your, this is just a repetition machine that your brain has become. And so if you look at your brain under a scan, 
uh, under psychedelics or under meditation, what has happened is that those highways have relaxed. And now what you're able to do is unwire and unfire certain habits, personality traits, and rituals that you have in your head. And you're able to rewire them. Now with psychedelics, we can see that even within one session, you can heal PTSD. You can heal addictions to alcohol, to cigarette smoking. You can heal all sorts of ideas that you've been holding on to, thinking that this is your personality forever. But the minute you go into it and you relax those brainwaves, you come out and you have new brainwaves that have been constructed. And now those new neurons and new, you're literally a new person. And so with meditation as a practice on a daily, because you're not walking around taking psychedelics every day, maybe you'll do it twice a year or three times a year, whatever it is, whatever you need, when you go and do it in places that are legal and places that are under medical um, um, sort of care. But meditation is legal. And meditation is something that we should all be doing as often as possible so that we can bring this calm heart and, and clear mind so we can be okay with change. You know, the thing is, is most people want to know what the absolute future or what the future looks like in absolute terms. Like, what's that going to be? How do I need to educate my kids for that? What do I need to do for work for that? And that shows us is that we are very addicted to certainty. We don't mm -hmm. want to be anything but certain. And what meditation does to us, it makes us okay with uncertainty. It makes us celebrate the unknown because we're enthralled with the creativity of the now. And so it really makes us very, very powerful dealing with change on all levels within a personal relationships, work, all of it's in flux at the moment, in massive flux. And so the calm heart and clear mind is a real superpower. You don't have to know what the outcome is. You just have to be able to manage your behavior. I'm, I'm with you because I started meditating in my 40s and I would go into the news conference at the National and all of the egos that used to just get me like, all of a sudden I'd be sitting there just looking at everyone's face being like, oh my God, he doesn't bother me. He doesn't bother me. He doesn't bother me. But when you say meditation, I know you've just lost probably every guy I've ever dated. Um, most, most of my girlfriends, <laughs> like most of my brother and my father, like how do you get through to people? Because you know, when you say the word meditation, most people are like, oh, come on, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. That's a big thing. People say they can't do it. So how do you break yeah. through that wall? So the first thing I say is that the first time you try and run a 10 kilometer run, yeah. you can't make it. You're unfit. Your body can't make it. So you have to start with one kilometer and slowly but surely build up your fitness. And meditation is the same. Meditation is brain gym. You know, why do you go to gym? So that the rest of your life can be more comfortable so that you can pick up your child. You can, you know, you can just have a more gracious way of growing up. Whether you, where, where you're not overweight, where you're not hunched over, where you don't have issues with your back, where you don't have issues. That's why you go to gym. I mean, it's a preventative process to make sure your body is dealing with what's going on. Meditation is exactly the same. And most people are obese in their brains. Mm. In other words, they have no control over how their brains work, which means they're slaves to their brain. Their brain is not determining what's going on. They're slaves to their triggers. And so now what happens is they become addicted to the triggers. They become addicted to the anxiousness. And so they'll find every excuse not to do anything to get rid of that anxiousness because it's a real addiction. And you know this because you could be sitting in the Maldives in a five-star hotel eating cut fruit by, by, by your servants. And day three, your body will go, hang on a second. And 
isn't this when you usually take the kids to school and hit a bit of a panic and an anxiousness? Let's, let's, let's figure out something we can think about so we can, again, conjure up this anxiousness in our bodies. And there you are sitting in your five-star hotel feeling anxious and wondering why am I feeling anxious? There's nothing to feel anxious about, but your body's become addicted to it. So of course, these people will say they can't do it. They don't want to do it. Why? Because their bodies are going, nah, why do you want to do that? Let's stay familiar. Even though I hate familiarity, even though I'm addicted to a life that I hate, I don't want to change it because I'm just more clear on being the familiar, addicted version of myself than to actually start to explore a new version of myself. And so what I always suggest is start with five minutes and move it up to 10 minutes. And if you, and, and if you, and if you aren't able to engage with a new way to develop yourself, you are going to be the one that's at loss. You're the one who's going to be medicating yourself, drinking alcohol, doing whatever you have to get away from your high beta brainwave. And just, you have to just look at the science behind meditation. Don't worry about eating lentils and wearing sandals and wearing a man bun and not shaving your armpits. If you're a woman, that's all stuff is the idea that's brought about with spirituality. It's not even a spiritual practice. It's a science-based practice. And so I follow Dr. Joe Dispenza and Dr. Joe Dispenza is a 60 year old Italian man. He's not about airy-fairy. He's not about vegan. He's not about gluten-free. He's not about any of those things. It's science-based research that shows what happens to your brain, your blood, your cells, your heart after you've meditated. And if you want to upgrade yourself, you have to make the effort. And if you don't want to, to be honest with you, I don't need to convince you. You must be in such a place that you're in pain, that you want to engage with something new. And so if I have lost people, I'm sorry for you because you're the one who's losing out more than anybody else. You know, I don't need to convince you. I'm having a sweet time of a life because I'm able to meditate myself. Now I'm up to about three hours a day. And what has happened to me is that I don't get triggered. Like my triggers are minuscule. I just, I hardly have any triggers. And, and what a life. I mean, think about Think about this. Let's think about this. And maybe this would also help the audience members that have lost if they're, if they're still listening. Um, <laughs> what is emotional intelligence? And there's many different ways to think about emotional intelligence, but a very simple way to describe emotional intelligence is how quickly do you get off a trigger? Mm. How quickly do you come back to who you are in a calm, loving, kind way? And the longer it takes you to come back from a trigger, the less emotionally intelligent you are. And if you think about, go on. I was just going to say, but what if you're tired and worn out? Because sometimes yeah, I find but it even, longer. Like it take, I can tell that I'm tired because something will trigger me. Yeah. And it took me a day to get over it because I haven't been, maybe that day I didn't take care of myself. Absolutely. But also remember what tired means is your brain has been, in, has been revving at 8,000 revs in high beta, which has got you exhausted. Yeah. In alpha and low beta, you don't get exhausted. You almost just get energized. It's almost like a car idling rather than revving at, right. at an extreme level, right? So if you, if you are triggered for two to three days, it's a mood. Mm. If you're triggered for seven to 10 days, it's your temperament. And if you're triggered for longer than two weeks, it's your new personality. Mm -hmm. And now you have a triggered personality. And a triggered personality doesn't want to be quiet and meditate. It's addicted to being triggered. And think about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is an eight-year-old boy that got triggered, that can't get out of his trigger. He's just triggered. And if you think about all these leaders that are causing mayhem around the world, they're men in their 60s and 70s that were never taught how to be emotionally intelligent. In their world, brute force was the way to achieve their goals. 
-hmm. and their software that they're running inside their heads is an iOS one and the world requires an iOS 20. And the only difference is, is that the emotional intelligence and understanding how to access emotional intelligence to get yourself off a trigger, to have a more calm, kind life, bringing about more abundance. And in fact, everything that you've wanted on the other side of your trigger is based on you being able to manage your brainwaves and approaching your life in a more kind and calmer way. Can you talk a little bit about what your brain does when you start to change? Because there's a definite pull back. You've, you've alluded to it a little bit when we've been talking, like, for example, this year I went on a last year, I went on a hiking trip in Turkey. I'd never taken a hiking vacation. And my, I got, I developed this random pain in the top of my foot for like two days before it. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I can't go on a hiking trip. I have this terrible pain in my foot. Like, what am I going to do? This is crazy. This is like, how did this happen? It was this whole drama in my head. And then I was like, oh, okay okay, I'm scared of this trip. I'm scared of this trip. And then the pain went away. This is crazy. Like I I feel crazy saying it, but the pain went away a couple of hours later. And I was trying to explain to people that this is what your brain does. And people are looking at me, like my friends are looking at me like, okay, but that's, it actually created a pain to make, but why, and how do you overcome it? How do you recognize it? You know, they've done some studies recently and they've seen that a very high percentage of children with asthma have parents that are anxious. Mm. And if you think about it, kids are not listening to what you're saying. They're watching what you're doing. And if you shallow breathing, they think that's the way you need to breathe. And they start shallow breathing and asthma is formed. So you understand that your body is a lot more intelligent than any of us give it credit for. And it's able to maneuver and create diseases based on subconscious patternings, internal dialogues of... Mm self-hatred, self-judgment, all of them linked to a high beta brainwave. And so what happens when you start to take this journey towards shifting, you realize that your body's actually so addicted to those negative emotions that it buckles like a wild stallion. It's called the refractory period. And this refractory period is you trying to tame your stallion that has had its own way for the last 40 years, 50 years, however old you are. And it's never been told what to do. But now all of a sudden you're saying, you know what? I don't want to have that thought anymore. I don't want to think like that anymore. And your body goes, no, 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 no. But you do, but you do. Let's just go call your sister and let's go and bitch about uh, X, Y, and Z. Let's go, let's go find somebody there to really get ourselves back into that low energy addiction that we've had. Let, no, no, let me just watch a little bit of news. I just want to hit, I just want to get a little bit of that hit so that I can feel a little bit of that anxiousness, anger that I've been addicted to. And so what happens is that you have to become very, very vigilant in the process of taking the step or walking through the river of change. And the river of change is tumultuous. You know, it's an addiction. It's just an addiction. That's all it is. It's like a drug addiction. It's just an emotional addiction. And, you know, all relationship issues you have are also an addiction. And the minute you start to change your brainwaves and your frequency, those relationships fall away. Those addictions fall away. They just fall away because they link to an old way that you used to think about the world based on a high beta danger, adrenaline and fueled anxious life. When you change that relationships, addictions, work, money, whatever it is that you were having problems with start to dissipate because they're not linked to that frequency anymore. Now, not to lose people too much, but you know, when you see some people, that you don't like, or you think their energy is low, what do you say? Oh, I don't like the energy. That's mm-hmm. just not for me. That's that energy, right? 
Or if you really like somebody, you go, wow, you know, it's really nice to be around that person. I feel so like at peace when I'm around them. I feel safe when I'm around them. I feel inspired when I'm around them. What you're really describing is frequencies because the people with the low frequency are the people that you don't want to hang around with. They don't fit with your frequency and your energy. Now, when you meditate and you change your brainwaves, what you're actually doing is changing your frequency and you're changing and uplifting yourself to have a different reality experience for yourself based on the frequency that you're developing. And you start to realize that your addictions and personality issues were linked to a certain frequency and an erased frequency. You don't have those issues. And I'll give you four examples of me personally. For 20 years, I didn't speak to my dad. Last year, I spoke to my dad. Wow. And I didn't even try to speak to my dad. It wasn't, it wasn't an intention. I was angry with him. He was violent with us. He, he wasn't great, you know, growing up. And I just didn't like him for 20 years. I never set out to heal that relationship. But what I've been doing for the last two years is meditating two hours at least a day. I spoke to my brother for the first time in four years last year. Also, never intended it because I was still angry with him because of the way he was and who he was and what he had done to the family. I also gave up marijuana after 20 years of smoking. Now, I don't smoke in the UAE. Obviously, it's not legal. But whenever I left the UAE, the first thing I would do was try and organize a, a joint. <laughs> it was the first thing I would do. It's like wherever really? I was going was where can I get a joint? Right. I suppose it's like alcohol, right? Where, how quickly can I get a yeah. glass of wine into my, into my throat, right? And then the fourth thing that happened is I gave up sugar. And, you know, marijuana, sugar, my father relationship, my brother relationship were never an intention at the beginning of the year. None of it was an intention because I never thought I could give up marijuana because I had just been smoking for so long. And sugar was, how can I go to bed without having chocolate? I mean, that was just part and parcel of who I was. And so really the, the, the idea here is, is that I never tried to do any of those. All I did was practice meditation and really start to focus in on it. And I've been to eight Dr. Joe Dispenza retreats where you get to learn the science behind meditation. It's not airy-fairy. Even when you listen to Dr. Joe, he's a 60-year-old Italian man. He's not into this bullshit airy-fairy. Like, it irritates him. Yeah. It's all science. And so if your brother is having a hard time, your friends are having a hard time, just listen to science. Don't worry about anything else. Just go and listen to the science behind it. And then that helps you elevate your energy, your frequency, and kind of your personality starts to change, you know? So you cross over into, and you've alluded to it, sort of the quantum. First of all, can I just, do you have, how much do you have any more time? Because I think I said 1030. Yeah. Do you have like another 10 minutes? I do. I do. Okay. So the, the quantum, we're hearing a lot about the quantum field and quantum technology and meditation does sort of put yourself into a different state. Can you just give us like your basic primer on how you can actually sort of start to explore different realities and how there might be different realities out there and how you can use those in your life? I, I mean, I'm interested lately in sort of the idea of a, I went to this healer guy and he said, Emery, pick an age when you are living your ideal. And I said, uh, okay, 58. And he said, you want to wait that long? And I'm like, no, actually. So he said like, okay, 55, make, let her make all the decisions that you're making. And I thought that was really interesting, but then I started reading all about it and you're sort of almost just realizing that there's, am I making sense? Do you know what I mean? Can you sort of like, sure. sure. Look, I think, I think, I think it's such a, I think it's such a new concept for all of us, to be honest. And I think we grapple with the, the concept of there being multiverses and parallel lives. And it's, like, it's a real hard concept for us to get through. But two things, let's start just with two things. 
You know, when you love doing something and two hours feels like five minutes mm. and when you hate doing something, five minutes feels like two hours. There's your concept of time already, just very simply showing mm. you that time is malleable. And I have a theory. I think that people that love doing what they do are in a constant state of curiosity and excitement age differently because their experience of time is different. And people that are having a terrible, wretched time of life are aging badly, badly. And so really age is not about what skin product you use is what your experience of life is about more than anything else. So let's start with that. That's a simple way for us just to get our heads around it. Now also let's remember that when you're in a high beta brainwave, when you're in danger, you never have enough time. Mm. Always running late. Your to-do list is forever. Then you go on holiday and your alpha brainwave kicks in and now you're not thinking about anything too much stressful and time starts stretching out. You have more than enough time. It's so chilled. And so firstly, we realize that your brain waves actually determine your experience of time. That's quite simply it. And when you move into a theta brainwave, which is where meditation takes you, there is no time and there is no space. Because in that space, you're now accessing the quantum world. And if you've never experienced it, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about until you experience it. And when you experience it, you'll know, oh, I disappeared for an hour. So when you go to Dr. Joe Dispenza retreat, you're meditating between four and eight hours a day. On the last day, you're meditating four and a half hours, just one, one meditation. And people go like, wow, how do you even do that? I can't even sit still for 10 minutes. The truth is you don't even know you're there. Mm. Like you disappeared. Your construct of time changes when you're in that state. And what happens in the quantum field it's really the, the, this idea that we are building quantum computers, which says you have ones and zeros happening at the same time, right? Mm. Which is, again, a very difficult thing for us to understand in a linear world of it's either one or zero, where quantum says, no, one and zero are happening at the same time. And if you take this a little bit further, in the quantum reality, in the quantum world, which we're now starting to slowly but surely explore, there is no time. There's only the forever now. And the forever now can be experienced from whatever frequency you choose to experience it from. So every single reality is available to us. The higher our frequency goes, the better of an experience we have. The lower the frequency goes, the more stress we have. Mm -hmm. And so we have this opportunity to actually experience our reality in any which way we want to, if we are able to determine the work we need to do to be able to elevate ourselves to have the experience we want to have. So the quantum world is a world that's always been there. We've only started to get exposure to it now. They call it the soup, the quantum soup, which is really the frequency of light that's forming based on our focus and based on the radio station that we're linking into. Some people just want to listen to drama radio stations and other <laughs> people want to listen to creative drama radio stations. It's all radio stations. It's all stations that we are linking into. And so it's a, weird, it's a weird concept, but also if you've done shamanic work, if you've done any ayahuasca, if you've done any psychedelic work of any of those things, they show you that there's multiple realities outside of ours that we have only ever, and that we've never experienced because our reality is governed by our five senses. And what happens to most people is if, you, if, you're, if the reality that's being described doesn't fit into your current construct of your brain and doesn't fit into your idea of your five senses, you, dim you diminish it. 
You distort mm. it. You devalue it. You ignore it. And that, and that shows that you're not ready to explore anything new and you're stuck to being who you were, not exploring who you could become. And a great line that I always suggest people to use, which is what I use my life with or, or I determine my life with is strong opinions held loosely. Mm. You don't know everything. You will never know everything. And if you think you do know everything, you've lost the game before you started it. So strong opinions held loosely. I have some ideas, but I'm always happy to hear more. I'm always happy to adjust. I'm always happy to evolve. And so the more shamanic work I do and the more psychedelic work I do, the more meditation I do, I start to realize that we are multi, multi-dimensional beings and we're able to adjust the perspective that we have of what we're doing. And no, trust me, I'm still human. I still go through my triggers and these, but very minimal compared to who I was just a few years ago. Like really minimal, you know? Yeah. And so now I get invited to be on podcasts just because of my own exploration of my own psyche, you know? So it's great. I was on a podcast in Canada yesterday. Now Abu Dhabi is just, and it's just my own exploration. You know what I mean? It's just, I'm just exploring my fascination and people are fascinated with my fascination, which is really awesome. You must have, uh, I think people are scared sometimes of this change. Another aspect of fear is that the people around them won't react well and they don't like you do, you do change your friendships and your relationships when you do this work. Like how, how have you, have you experienced that? And if so, how have you? A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, a lot. But also remember new friends come. It's not just about losing friends, but new friends arrive. So this idea that everything's forever, nothing's forever. Nothing is forever. And, you know, with family, I've become kinder and more patient. They haven't come with me. I've just become kind. You know, my dad hasn't changed. Still the same guy. I've changed. Yeah. My brother, he's changed a little bit, but he, I've changed. My mom and dad haven't done my journey of shamanic, and, but I've become kinder and calmer towards them. And so my friend circle has changed dramatically. And I've got new friends. And it's not about just, and my old friends, I'm not enemies with them. I'm just like, okay, we're just on different paths and that's good. Because when you do start doing this work, you don't break from other people. You just evolve out of those lives, you know, and they might take offense from it, but eventually they'll come around as well. If you've got your sort of best foot forward, but change is not easy, but absolutely necessary. Because why would you want to live the same old life over and over and over and over? Why? What's the point? Like, what what would be the point? And also measuring success like we used to measure it, which was, I need a big house, I need a big car, I need a big watch, I need a big handbag, I need a fire. And then you in those things. And look, I've been there. Like, you're in that murk, you're in that Porsche, and you're anxious. Like, what is the point? Like, what? Like, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? If you have to get blind drunk every Friday to get over the stress of your life, like why? Like, what's the point? Like, like it's no point. Might as just give up, you know? So really it's all becomes about um, AQ, which is the thing that I'm teaching, which is awareness and adaptability quotient. It's no more about IQ. IQ is irrelevant. AI is replacing that. ChatGPT is just one of many AI systems are going to be arriving over the next few years. They're going to make everything our left brains used to do irrelevant. And so we have to start evolving into this AQ, this awareness and adaptability that gives us this opportunity to be aware of more data points, become more adaptable to change. And as Alvin Toffler very famously said, he said, the illiterate of the 21st century won't be the ones who can't read and write. They'll be the ones who cannot unlearn and relearn. Mm. So the malleability of your brain becomes your superpower. And if you aren't malleable in your brain and stuck to who you were, you're in trouble. 
mm-hmm. because you'll become irrelevant in your skills. And that's really the biggest fear that most people are having. Okay. I could talk to you all day, but I'm going to ask you one last question. Everyone's obsessed with aging and you touched on something, which is people who've done this work seem to be aging really well. Like when you said Joe Dispenza was 60, I was like, he's 60, you know? And I think we're Mm. around the same age, but I've noticed this where people from high school have had harder when I run into them. I'm like, whoa, now maybe they're Mm. going, whoa, when they run into me, you know, I have no idea, (laughs) but I have noticed that when I talk to, (laughs) to people who are doing you know, this real work, not the full, not the people who, who are doing it and, and pretending to have done it, but the people who are really doing it do seem younger, but then there's so much obsession with like biohacking and eating the exact right supplement and doing all that. I just wondered, like you touched on the fact that this is the real anti-aging. To to me, it's like, because you seem like you're ageless. Like, you know what I mean? You don't seem like you're an age to me, you know? Like, and I think that's the- I'm two years away from 50 and I'm so okay. proud of that because like, I honestly think I'm getting younger to be honest. Yes. I think I'm getting leaner, better. I, I mean, it's weird because I look at myself, I'm like, yeah, like I still look like I was 35, if not better. But yes. I think the biohacking is a, is a, is a approach to fix matter on matter or in physicality. And I think it's good, you know, but some yeah. people do it through desperation. Yeah. And some people do it with anxiousness. They don't do it with hmm. excitement and ease. They're like, I have to have that. I have to, I must yes. try this. I've got 85 pills I'm taking. The yeah. energy that you're taking it with is one of stress. Yes. Yeah, and, and glucose so, monitor. You have to glucose monitor. You yeah. have to do this. You have to yeah, do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're applying the same addiction of high beta to now becoming younger in the process of aging yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a dichotomy, actually. Mm-hmm. And then when you start to realize that everything in life is frequency and energy and you start to understand the energy behind things and you start to realize, hang on a second, if I just work on the energy, which is the core aspect of our reality, then everything else doesn't really matter. Mm. And Einstein said it, you know, Einstein's, I mean, Einstein's quote, I've actually quoted him a few times in my talks. He says, the future of medicine will be the the medicine of frequency. This is Einstein who said this 130 years ago. Go look it up. He said, the future of medicine will be the medicine of frequency because disease is linked to frequency. That's mm-hmm. why at the Joe Dispenza retreats, people who have cancer cure themselves of cancer. People in wheelchairs get out of wheelchairs and everybody thinks you are oh, bullshit, bullshit. It's because <laughs> of frequency. It's science. It's not airy, fairy, uh, religion. None of that. It's science because if your frequency is linked to a disease and you change your frequency, the disease is not linked to you anymore. And so aging is exactly like that, is that your idea of aging, the frequency that you have, if your body's in danger all the time, that you're anxious all the time, you're drowning yourself with alcohol, you are constantly stressed, you can't sleep. What do you think is going to happen to you? Mm. Your body's Mm going to age. Now you get yourself into a place where you become adaptable, you become curious, you unlearn and relearn easily. What do you think is going to happen to you? I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? You're just not going to age. You're going to be much softer, much more adaptable, just like more flexible. And so your body will be an expression of your mind. And you know, when you get old men who can't bend over and touch their toes, their brains are not flexible. Mm -hmm. When their brains become flexible, their bodies also automatically become flexible. So if you stiff, your brain is stiff. Mm -hmm. That's all it says. And so it's all linked. I always think with the rising, you know, everyone talks about dementia, 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 and everyone's looking for like the, you know, the new medication that comes out like, oh, 
but I like the number one thing you can do for dementia is move your body. And like, what are people not, I mean, I think that's just like the science is stacked to the roof on it. We know that now it's not a drug that someone's going to make in 10 years or a drug that someone just made. So that's it. We are, we are the, we, we are the pharmacy that we've been looking for. Uh, If we just are able to manage our brainwaves, if we don't allow the trigger points to take us prisoner, it's really us, you know, we are the pharmacy. It's unbelievable, actually, when you start to dive into the science of it. Well, thank you for explaining it so eloquently. Where can people find you and engage with you? I know TikTok. That's where I found you. Um, Oh, is that where you found me? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. All right. Yeah. That's a, the guy from Canada also found me on TikTok. Really? Um, I, yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, there's 8 billion people in the world. I don't know how I've struck it so lucky, but there's only one John Sane. There is no <laughs> other John Sane. I have searched. Oh, I've been I saying it wrong. I'm so sorry. Sane. Don't worry. No problem. No problem. John Sane. And uh, yeah, look, I'm across all socials. I'm constantly sharing. I'm enthused about the future. I want more people to be optimistic about the future. And uh, yeah, I'm constantly sharing videos, content, whichever way. So join me on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever. And my website is johnsone.com. And I do talks, strategy sessions, and sit on boards. So if you need any of those, please get in touch. Okay, great content. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Anna-Marie. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.